don't necessarily find in the text, though the principle begins to emerge in the text, but I, I hope that it will emerge more, more, more clearly as I share today. And I'm just going to ask that God unveils the scripture that we're going to read today just one passage initially, but there are like two or three additional passages that I will ask you to read with me a little bit later that is a, a, a common theme that it seems throughout the New Testament epistles that Paul writes to us. And so we're in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to pick it up at the 16th verse here. And this is a familiar passage to many of us, and I'm not going to necessarily just try to break this passage down. It's more of a part of the theme that I'm in pursuit of here. It says in the 16th verse, Paul, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, and you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Certainly the argument that is being made here in the book of Galatians is how that New Testament believers are not under the obligation of the law to produce righteousness. Righteousness cannot be obtained through the law, but certainly um, it's only obtained through Christ. Is that right? And so you're not under the law. Uh, we have received of the Spirit. Uh, we are led by the Spirit, to which we'll allude in a few moments. Now, Paul contrasts being led by the Spirit, which will produce the fruit of the Spirit here in just a moment, and that's mentioned briefly, uh, with the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh that are mentioned here is not a fully in, uh, all-inclusive uh, in list, but there's certainly many more things that Paul could have mentioned and does in other epistles, and I'm not sure that you can make a complete list because the flesh has a craving appetite that's satisfied only upon things that uh, are, are not in the will of God for us. And so... So he just simply, the works of the flesh are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, King James English, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So that's a, a great addendum there at the end, and such like. Paul's not trying to make... Uh, this the, a list that's you know exhaust everything that's in the flesh. He's just putting it in a category of uh, because we ought to be able to discern between that which is good, that which is godly, and that which is evil, Amen. right? And there is light and darkness in this world. There's good and holy and just, and there's evil and there's malicious. And so Paul is showing a contrast. And, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit, or let's go on down, let's read this, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is a love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and and temperance, which means self-control, against such there is no law. And they, notice this, and my, my attention was drawn when in my personal studies, the, the 24th verse, 
here, especially initially. It says, and they that are Christ. Now, I think that's something that you just have to answer for yourself. Are you Christ or not? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you his? Are you Christ? If you are Christ, then it says you have crucified the flesh with the affections and, its, and lust. If we live in the Spirit, if we're made alive by the Spirit, to which we're going to allude in a few moments, if you're made alive by the Spirit, then don't walk after the flesh. Walk after the Spirit. I believe there's a power in us greater than the appetite of our flesh. I believe there is. And I'm tired, I say that very respectfully, of seeing Christians lose that battle when there's no reason for us to. We can walk in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to choose a title that seems a little bit odd, and I'll try to add some clarity to you. I've borrowed it from a television program that um, is on one of the uh, cable channels. Um, It's called Live Free or Die. Have anybody ever saw that show, Live Free or Die? Well, I'm going to draw, I'm going to make some type of application. It'll make make sense to you. I know you're still struggling with the Chick-fil-A thing (laughs) right now. (laughs) I don't care where you're from, that's funny. That's funny. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative. You got to just, you know, he said it just flies in. God God will freely give you the sauce. Chick-fil-A will. Father, we love you and we're so grateful for this day privileged to have an opportunity to share the word of God. Now, Lord, I ask today as my heart was prepared beforehand that even now you would give me, as Isaiah said, the tongue of the learned, that I might have a word in season for he that is weary. And I pray today, God, that you would cause the people to have an ear that is receptive to the word and let the ability to communicate and ability to share and then the ability to understand the truth of the gospel uh, co-join together in this room. Where not only what I'm sharing, where it's easy on my part to share it, but the people are easily receiving it. And God, that we'll all be strengthened in our faith as a result. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Before we get this far, I'm going to share with you. In a moment of time, I'm going to share with you what I believe are two of our greatest struggles that I believe that we can get a victory in or or, or gain an answer to. Um, but I want to just tap into that live free or die for just a moment. That particular show, and it kind of corresponds with some of the other, um, what is it called when it's like real life TV? You know, it's not a drama. You're just following people's lives. These are folks that just have said, you know, the system, the economic system that's in not only the world, but in the earth and in America, they just, they're, they're doing their very best to check out of that like uh, mortgages and um, being on, some of these folks are off the grid, you know. So the concept is you can live free to a degree, I guess, right? That's the principle. You can live free or die. In essence, they, they don't want to be bound to the system. And I understand many of these are some estranged folks. And, uh, but but I want to I tie this into a little bit of something that's happened to me and Sherry recently. I've been very transparent over the years with you guys. And I'm going to go ahead and do that today because it's setting the course of where I want to go in the context of Scripture for just a moment. Now, one of the, the most uh, binding things that can come in your life today is debt. Everyone here today, I mean, and there's all kinds of debt from credit card debt to automobile debt 
to uh, mortgages. And, and I know many times we, we've had, we have mortgages because it certainly seems at times better than renting. But the objective of when you buy a home is to eventually pay for it. Amen. Come on, somebody. And I, I, I can remember, as I've testified, back when Sherry and I had purchased our very first home when we were pastoring at Maranatha Assembly in Shirley. And after less than two years, the house burned down on January the 11th, 2001. And so, but out of that, what, would, what, what could have easily been a tragedy, and it was in one sense, uh, God used that. God uses tragedy. Amen. He uses tragedy for His glory and to advance your life. He does, if, if your heart is pliable before Him. From that moment, I've shared openly that there was a, a, a quantum leap in our lives where when we received our insurance and people started showing us kindness, I went in a matter of months from owing $72,000 on a home on a 30-year note to having 17 acres paid for and a 2,800-square-foot house built on it debt-free. Shut up. I'm like that brother. I'm about to speak in other tongues right now. Hallelujah. That was a monumental transition. And God, it was in his kindness. It was in the Father's kindness. And I've shared with you that when I became the pastor of Hebrew First Assembly, land was less expensive up on the north side of the lake as it was on the south side of the lake. So for the last 13 years, because I had to sell that house, I fought the mortgage thing for 13 years. And I took the equity and I hid it in houses so I didn't spend it. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. I didn't buy new tennis shoes with it. Didn't buy vehicles with it because I knew it would dissipate quickly. Are y'all with me? But I hid it in mortgages. And, uh, but, but recently when we sold our house and then the house that we were going to buy fell through and we ended up making a decision that we were, we were going to repurchase, something shifted inside of me. And all those feelings of freedom that I had 13 years ago bubbled up inside of me and I said, I, I, I'm not doing, I can't go back to this mortgage thing. And so I was going to take what I have and buy this property and I was going to attempt to build a house and when I run out of money, I'm going to move in. And I'm going to be like those live free or die folk. And I'm going to get me some dreads. I'm going to let my beard grow out like Shane. Sherry not going to shave her legs or under her arms. Nothing. We, we may go off the grid when it's all said and done. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But now the concept, just real quickly, is because in the last month, I owed 25 additional years on a mortgage. And now I don't have a mortgage. And I'm like, I feel so free. I just feel free. And, and, and so from that freedom that I have, so listen, there's freedom when debt is released, right? Or paid for, right? There's a freedom. Well, that's a natural thing right there. That's, it was a natural debt. Mortgage is a natural debt. What about a sin debt? What about the, because think about this for just a moment of time. If, if I had the resources and I could come up to you and I could like maybe ask you, say, who here has a mortgage? Somebody said, well, I'll just close on a house. I got 29 years left. What if I could go up to you right now and I could write a check and say, take it on Monday morning to the bank and pay your house off? Let me tell you, would there be a freedom in your soul? Would there be a liberty in your life when somebody delivered you from 30 years of indebtedness, Amen. right? 
Because had you paid that note out, let's say you bought that house for $100,000, after 30 years, you will have found yourself having paid about three hundred and twenty dollars or $360,000 for that $100,000 home. You know that because that's how the system is set up. So you would feel at liberty. Well, I want you to know today that there was a debt that we all owed that we could in no wise pay, right? But somebody paid the debt for us and released us to a life of service to God. And if we could just have that revelation, there'll be such freedom in our lives, such joy that we won't allow ourselves to be in debt again. Well, let me go a little farther. Y'all getting better as we speak. I want to talk to you about two things that I think that we need to know within ourselves. Number one, are my sins really forgiven? I think you've got to know that. I mean, it's got to be something that you know that your sins are truly forgiven. And number two, follow on to that, which we'll get to in a few moments is, how do I overcome sin? Because they're hand in hand. It's not just, God didn't just deliver you from sin debt for you to keep going back to a lifestyle of sin. God delivered you from sin's dominion over you so you could live a life free, right, with me and my dreads and Sherry and her unshaved arms so you could live free. Hello, somebody, right? And so God wants us to live free, right, to live free. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can tie this together for a few moments. I think we can all acknowledge that we've all sinned. Sure. Now, I under, I'm, not, I'm not a theologian, but I can understand that there's, there's a sin debt, uh, the sin nature, and then there are, there's the motion of sin or the action of sin. And I understand the difference from sinning and being born a sinner, right? Because every person that's born was born a sinner because we descended from Adam, right? So before, and then the law came along. This is Paul's argument all throughout the New Testament. The law did not come to bring righteousness. The law simply came to show you that you were a sinner and that you needed to find a way to be delivered and you can't be delivered through the law. Somebody had to provide deliverance for you and that was Christ. And we understand this, but Paul makes the argument for both his Jewish audience and his Gentile audience that we have all actually sinned. Not the action of sin now, or excuse me, not the nature of sin, but the motion of sin. We can, if we said this with Paul, Paul said, we have all sinned and come short of the grace of God. Every one of us. And then he makes this argument. We are going to follow it rather quickly. We're going to read it because I want you to see this. Paul is making this argument for both the Jew and the Gentile. It's in Romans chapter number 3, verses 9 through 18. I just want you to see this. We'll read it rather quickly. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved. Paul said this is an argument that I've already proven to you biblically. Now, I'm basing everything and the doctrine I'm sharing to you based upon the scriptures. Right? This is not human reasoning, but this is a biblical truth. Paul's saying, according to the scriptures, he said, I've proven to you that they are both under sin. Let's follow this. He begins to quote many Old Testament passages, as it is written. Anytime you see that, he's going back to the Old Covenant. And he's saying, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. Let's just follow it down. There is none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, none. 
not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. 14th verse, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. And he says, and lastly, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul, in that passage of Scripture, arrives at a conclusion that whether you're Jew and you've been brought into the covenant of the Mosaic covenant with the law and you've got the prayer shawl and you've got the Sabbath and you've got uh, the feast and you've got the sacrifices or whether you are a heathen Gentile and you've never heard about Yahweh God, you've never heard about Mount Sinai, God's, uh, Paul has proven the point that we've all sinned. We all had need of redemption and a Savior. And if you and I can arrive at that point where we come to that awareness, that's part of redemption is being brought into the awareness that you've sinned and you need forgiveness of sin because God is holy. God is just. Is that right? And so forgiveness of sin then, according to the Scripture, is granted to us by God through Christ. So here is a brief Just a very brief look at the gospel. The gospel of salvation is we were all guilty before God. And God's judgment demanded payment. And so we deserve to die for our transgressions because we had all sinned. We had all transgressed against the will of God. John said that sin is the transgression of the law. So here's what happened. God sent Jesus as a substitution. We deserve to die, but Jesus took our place. He received the penalty of our sin, which was death, on the cross of Calvary. He did not deserve to die. He was innocent before God. He was sinless before God. There's nothing that the enemy, who is the accuser of the brethren, could accuse him before God. He said it himself. Jesus said, the prince of this world comes, John 12, and he has nothing in me. He can find nothing in my life to accuse me before God. And so Jesus, as the sinless, redemptive lamb, died in our stead, the death upon the cross. But note this, Romans 6, verse 6 says, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? He said in verse number 8 of the same chapter, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. I love Romans 5 that says God commended his love for us that while I was yet a sinner because the argument he made in chapter number 5 is he said for a good man somebody might give his life. I might be, uh, many of us as parents we would get in front of an executioner's bullet to spare the life of our child. Is that right? For our, our, our heritage. But, but, but Jesus died on the cross not for righteous men But for unrighteous, unholy, evil men, malicious men, sinners, all that have sinned, that's who Jesus spread himself out on the cross to die for. He commended his love for us. And so we call it in the scriptures a propitiation. That means an atoning sacrifice. His sacrifice atoned for our sins. Another example is in the monetary sense of indebtedness and redemption. The word redemption in the original language speaks about being redeemed from a debt. Colossians 1 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. 
even the forgiveness of sin. I love what Peter said. He said, you've not been redeemed by corruptible things of silver and gold. He said, but you've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. In God's economy, gold and silver had no value to redeem us from our sin debtedness. Platinum, titanium, oil dug out of the earth, none of the treasures that are hidden in the earth was sufficient to release not a single person for their sin debt. God said, I need something far more precious than gold or silver or titanium or platinum. God said, I need the most precious element in all of the world to provide as a propitiation or a redemptive payment for the transgressions of men because their transgressions have reached all the way to heaven. And God found the most precious element in the blood of his son and Jesus shed it on the cross and paid the indebtedness so that you could go free glory to God so that you could live free and here's what I want you to know this. In order for you to have, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit in here today. I'm telling you, I hope you are. In order for you to have peace with God, you've got to believe that your sins are forgiven. You will never have peace. You will never live free. You will never fully have that smile on your face that you ought to have if you don't know in your heart of hearts that your sins are forgiven. Let me go farther. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If you and I confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me say this. Please receive it. Please hear it. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God's demand for penalty has been met. Settled. Jesus' final words on the cross of Calvary was, it is finished. The sin debt is forever settled. Right? I'm not in obligation to my sin nature any longer. I'm not in obligation to the sin of Adam. I'm not in obligation to my sin. Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. Sins past, sins present, sins in the future. Christ has paid the price in full. Glory to God. Here's what you and I must do. We must believe and accept it by faith. Listen to this. Forgiveness is what you ask for. Forgiven must be what you receive and then what you believe. Did you hear that? Now, let me say that again. I think maybe only Dr. Brassville caught that. Forgiveness. See, we live in a constant cycle of asking God for forgiveness. And I'm not saying that if when you sin, you don't ask the Father for forgiveness. I understand when you're in relationship with someone, if I sin against Sherry, I'm going to ask her to forgive me. But I want you to know this. You've got to arrive at the place in your heart where you know that God has already forgiven you. You asked for your sins to be forgiven, and so therefore you are forgiven. You asked for forgiveness. You received forgiven. It's a completed work. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did y'all catch that? It didn't say he will forgive you. We ask it all the time, God, will you forgive me of my sins? God, would you forgive me of my sins? God's already forgiven you of your sins. I'm telling you, that's the freedom. See, I don't have a mortgage today. No wonder I can preach like this. I'm living free. Is that right? Right? Colossians 2, he hath 
forgiven you all trespasses. First John 2 and 12, your sins are forgiven you. So it's not a new transaction that's awaiting in front of you. It's a previous transaction that's already been completed behind you. And once you get that down in your spirit, then that liberates you to have communion with God because you know that your sins are forgiven. Let me go a little farther. Redemption, I believe, includes forgiveness, justification, and righteousness. I'm not going to preach in great depth, but let me just mention forgiveness is what God has done with your sin debt. He forgave it. He forgave it, right? He satisfied it in Christ, and he released you of it. Justification is that God has therefore rendered you innocent or just. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. You just showed me on the screen a few moments ago I was guilty before God. I was a sinner before God. That's right. Until you uh, accepted the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, and certainly as a result of his work, then God now declares you justified right? You're just in the eyes of God. Now, we recently, this week, uh, saw the, uh, uh, across the news was the big issue with uh, O.J. Simpson's uh, parole and his release. And that's what's been controversial for 20 plus years. And I understand that, and I'm not trying to go in it, but, but some people in their minds think that O.J. is guilty. Some think he's innocent. And some say, well, he's free, but he's still guilty. That's the way a lot of people perceive it, correct? I'm not making an argument for or against them. I'm only using it as, as an example. Let me tell you today, you're not forgiven and still guilty. Hello? You're not free and still in bondage. Is that right? You're free and God has called you justified. You're acquitted of your crimes and your transgressions. And so he's declared you innocent. And lastly, not only are you innocent, but you're righteous. And come on, God has declared you to be righteous, which means guiltless, but also it means virtuous. And it means keeping the laws of God. And you say, but God, Pastor, I can't keep the laws of God. Christ kept them. And you're made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God put you in Christ. And so therefore, God kept the law through Christ. So there's nothing that we're doing that's trying to earn or to validate our experience. We're simply walking in the freedom that comes from knowing our sins are forgiven. And so let me read this to you. You will never truly know peace until you accept this divine work of grace by faith. Is that right? Let's say it again. You must believe the word that was spoken over you. I can't believe it for you. You must believe it yourself. And it will reflect upon your countenance the moment that gets down in your spirit. It will reflect upon your countenance. You are made righteous through Christ. He made him to be sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to show another passage before we turn to the second question. Before we do, in this passage, Paul kind of addresses, and Dr. Russell, I noticed this as in, as in my studies through the epistles. This is just such a common theme throughout the epistles. It's just an argument that Paul is, is, is bringing to all the churches to, so that you can come to that, that moment of freedom in your life when you stop trying to earn the favor of God, when you try, stop trying to feel righteous. It's not what you feel like. It's what you are based upon what he did. Man, did y'all hear that? It's not what you feel like. Let me say it again. 
It's what you are based upon what he accomplished on the cross. So Paul now writes to Titus. And he kind of, to a degree, picks this up. I'd like to read it. If y'all would, they'll put it on the screen. I just want you to read it because this got down in my spirit. And it's a great transition for where we're going to go to answer question number two very quickly today. It begins, I believe, in the 11th verse. Let me look. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Thank God for the grace of God. That grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And this is going to start the transition for us because not only are you free from your sin debt and the motion of sin does not have dominion over you any longer. You're free. You can live godly. I've discovered that many people in the kingdom of God, they want to live godly. They want to, but many people don't come to the realization that God can empower them to live a life that's pleasing to him. Is that right? And Paul is saying you can. He said, and as you do, you look for the blessed hope. Now, we're just skimming this. We're not going in depth, but I just think it validates the principle that I'm sharing today, the two principles, uh, which is the glorious appearance of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, from all iniquity. Look at that. And purify unto himself what a peculiar people. Well, that, there's a lot of folk that feel peculiar already. But a peculiar people that are what? That are zealous of good works. Why are we zealous of good works? Because we're free to serve God. Hello? I'm for, I, I went out to my farm this morning. I live over here, but the farm's over there. Because I'm not there yet. But I'm building my house to get there. But I went over there. In freedom. And freedom. Just walk around in freedom. God, me, and Sherry can live in a tent if we need to. Sherry's not as high on that as I am, but nonetheless. <laughs> freedom, 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 free to serve God. I, I didn't have to, oh, man, I hope we paid the mortgage on. I'm not, I'm not boasting at all. I, I'm just telling you what's, what happened in my heart as a result of not being under that indebtedness. And out of that natural example comes such a shining spiritual principle that when you are free from the sin debt, there should be such a joy in your heart that you just get up in the morning and say, I'm going to serve God. I'm free. I'm, free. I'm not under the bondage. God has released me. Glory to God. Let's read this on down. He said, these things speak and exhort. So he's talking to me now and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. Then he says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. I'm getting somewhere. To speak evil of no man. Third verse. He said, here's who you used to be. For we ourselves also were, here's who we used to be. This, does this sound like somebody you used to know, right? Who was foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. You served diverse lusts, many lusts and pleasures. You lived in malice and envy. You were hateful and you hated one another. You know anybody like that? Don't look at your neighbor. You're not talking about your neighbor right now. Right? Definitely if you don't look at your wife. Man, that's the worst thing you could have ever done right there is leaned over towards your wife right then. That's not who you're talking about. We're talking about the man in the mirror, right? The old you, who you used to be, right? And you hate, but look at this, look at the fourth verse. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, 
our deliverer toward man appeared. Look at this, fifth verse. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He, what did we sing about a while ago? He saved us. He delivered us. He snatched us out of the fire, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And the sixth verse, he shed this on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. We're justified by his grace and we're made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He said, this is a faithful saying and I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. In essence, Paul is saying, God has saved you and redeemed you by the power of his Holy Spirit and now you're that peculiar people that can serve God. You can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this age. Number one, it comes from the fact that you know your sins are forgiven. You know, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to keep going back. Many of you keep going back to the thing that you've already confessed before God. And when you do, it's an act of unbelief. Once you confess it, God has already, before you, let me just say this to be honest, before you confess it, God had already forgiven you of it. And so as you confess it, you're just simply walking in the activity of it in your life and the understanding of it that by his forgiveness. Now, i am received his forgiveness and I am forgiven and I'm able to serve the living God. So let's go down to number two real quickly. You've got to know that, church family. Does this make sense? You have to know that. I just believe you have to. Number three, or no, excuse me, number two then. Well, then, as I know I've got to watch the time. I've got just a few minutes. Well, how do I stop sinning? That's, I mean, no, that's, a, that's a more challenging question. Yeah, it got real quiet in here. Everybody liked being forgiven. <laughs> right, right. But, but you know, I, I, think, I think we've done a disservice to the church in our, in, as pastors and, and we, have, we have so made the grace of God something that I don't necessarily know that God intended it to be. Certainly, it leads us into that propitiation, that atoning sacrifice. But God's grace is an empowerment to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And, and I get tired of the lie that says, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, we make excuse. Well, the devil made me do it. Oh, the devil been bothering me all week. And I just... You know, I, don't give the devil it. Listen, listen, God, God can work in you in such a powerful way that when you have the revelation, your sins are forgiven, you can serve God with a clear conscience and you can overcome sin. I believe in my heart of hearts that there's not a sin of the flesh or that, that of your past or of your present that you can't overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me go farther. Listen, what is sin? Sin, as I said previously, is transgression of the law. It's the transgression of the commands of God. Yes, there's sins of commission. I understand that. Things that we commit, trespasses that we committed. There's sins of omission. Failure to do the right thing at the right time can be just as great a sin. As a sin when you act, failure to act can be just as great of a sin. Many Christians do not believe that they can stop sinning. And they typically revert to the cop-out, which is I'm a sinner saved by grace, or the devil made me do it. And number two, I believe they never apply the principles of Scripture as it relates to sin. 
They never apply the principle of Scripture. And I'm going to show you today briefly, briefly. We're going to Romans chapter number 6. We're going to read these together. It's in 11, 12, 13, 14th verse. It's just that quickly. I know I'm running out of time. I've got to hurry. I don't, want to, I don't want to cut this sermon off in the middle of it. It would be the wrong thing to do today because I, I want to go a little bit farther into it. Y'all stay with me. Can y'all give me just a little bit more time? Right, just to let me finish this today. I, I think you're with me. You've engaged. You bought in already. And let's go all the way with this. Look at this. The apostle here says, and th this whole argument is being made over the 6th, 7th, and 8th chapter of the book of Romans concerning uh, sin's uh, bondage. We're not talking about the sin debt now. We're talking about your, the motion of sin, the activity of sin in your life. Where Paul's made the argument, uh, like we read in the book of Galatians, where it says, the flesh lusts against the spirit. He makes that again in this passage as well. The 11th verse, here's what he said. He's writing this to those that have been born again, born by the spirit, that you must reckon. There's the word reckon. You, you're, you're also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon is an accounting term. I know you thought it was a hillbilly term. It's a, an accounting term where you reckon yourself uh, to be dead to sin. Remember, uh, I remember when I was a kid, it was like talk to the hand because the face don't listen or don't understand. When you reckon, you're talking to the old man and you're talking to your sinful nature and you're simply saying, I'm dead to you. Right. My, my, my kids, uh, every now and then when they get on each other's nerves, they'll say, you're dead to me. And so we'll be sitting at the table, and they'll be talking and eating, but that one's dead to them. <laughs> that means it's just totally, Paul said, reckon. Look at this. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Hello? Right? But I'm alive to God. Right? I'm dead to sin. So in my heart, my faith has taught me to believe this. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to serve God. Let's go farther. 12th verse, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Sin should not reign in your body that you should obey it. You do not have to obey it, right? The craving appetites of the flesh, you say, Pastor, can I really uh, not obey craving appetites? Have you ever dieted? Have you ever fasted? Have you ever gone without a meal for one moment of time of your life? If you've done, if you've done it one time, then you can do it because that shows you if you passed up on that hamburger, Right? When you were hungry or that Chick-fil-A sandwich on Monday because you can't get it on Sunday, right? And so when you passed up on it because you had made a commitment to fast, that's the same process that we do in overcoming sin. The craving appetite said, go for it. But your spirit man said, no, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to sin. Sin will not reign in my body. This is, I'm going so lightly over deep truths. I understand that. Don't yield. Look at this, 13th verse. Your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments uh, unto God. So I reckon myself to be dead. I will not let sin reign in my mortal body. I won't yield my members to sin. And the 14th verse says this, sin shall not have dominion over me. That's a dynamic spiritual truth that should be written in the tablet of every one of our hearts. Every heart that's here today, we should have this common agreement. I will not let sin have dominion over me. I'm tired of making excuses. I'm tired of saying, well, this is the way my father was, or this is why I have these tendencies, or this is why I'm, uh, I'm potentially an alcoholic, or this is why I'm an angry person. No, I don't want to hear any of that. You're a new creature in Christ. You're born by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Uh, and so, yes, you can have dominion over sin. Glory to God. It's a perspective that you've got to arrive at. I'm free to serve God. 
My sins are forgiven. As I close, and I'm only saying that to release you of the anxiety that you think I'm going to keep going on and on. But let me go a little farther in completing this message. The revelation, and I'm lightly skimming deep spiritual truths, but it's just been in my heart. The revelation of the indwelling Holy Spirit must come to the forefront in your mind. When you got saved, you received the Spirit of God. You are alive to God by the Spirit. If your flesh were to die today, yeah, your spirit is immediately with the Father, right? The greatest power inside of you is not your appetite that's bound to your flesh. It's the life of God that's joined with your, whole, with your spirit. Romans 8 says, His spirit joins with your spirit and declares you to be a child of God. Let's go farther. The breath of God dwells inside of you, which is the Spirit of God. Listen to this very carefully. You can, by His Spirit, put to death or mortify or crucify your fleshly appetites. Don't let anybody or anyone or anything tell you different. You can be free. Not just from your sin debt, but from the motion of sin, the activity of sin in your life. The Holy Spirit inside you empowers you to refrain from a sinful lifestyle while empowering you to live a life that's pleasing to God. Wow, that's good right there. Who's going to join me on the platform? Whatsoever, listen to this, whatsoever is sinful to you, inside you is the power to resist. Can I say that? I'm closing. I've got platform help. You know I'm one step closer. Whatsoever is sinful to you, Inside you is the power to resist. Let me just say, let me, let me just, let's put this in modern terms. Um, this past week in the sports world, uh, the sports community was kind of rocked by uh, the, the resignation of Hugh Freeze, the football coach of Ole Miss. Uh, when allegations came out or it was discovered that he had made phone calls uh, to an escort service. And so, and it's tragic for him and his family. And Hugh has been always a, uh, an outspoken Christian, very outspoken Christian um, about his faith. And here's, here's the point I'm going to make. And so it's sad and we grieve and we pray for their family, right? And pray for, for healing and restoration. But a phone number was discovered on his cell phone to the escort service in a... In a uh, investigation that they've been making and and so from there here's the point I'm going to use and, and I don't want to use somebody's tragedy as an example but if he was genuinely born again I believe he was he didn't have to make that call I don't care how his fleshly appetite raged the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him is greater the power of the Holy Spirit you don't have to watch pornography right you don't have to give in to an addiction you don't have to take crystal or smoke marijuana or drink. You don't have to do any of those things. You have the power to resist and you have the power to serve God. You do. Here's what Paul said real quickly as I'm closing. Listen, I, want you, I just wanted you to list, uh, listen to the list of things that Paul specifically spoke of in the Word of God that you can overcome. Lying. <laughs> Wrath. Stealing. Filthy communication, which means filthy language. 
bitterness. Bitterness. People are people are bitter. We don't have to be bitter. You don't have to listen what he said. Anger. You don't have to be an angry man. Right? You don't have to be an angry woman. You can be a pleasant person. Clamor, evil speaking, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, drunkenness, malice. We read the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which means partying, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, which means jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, reviling, and he even said sorcery, which could be, in our culture, drug addiction. Is that right? Let me say this. Such were some of you, but you're forgiven. And when you're forgiven, the power of the Holy Spirit inside you will strengthen you to be dead to those things. You're dead to those things. They shall not. Listen to this. They shall not have dominion over you. Is that right? They're not going to dominate your life. You're free from that sin's debt and sin's grip. Sin's debt and its grip through Christ. I wrote it this way. As As we go back to circle back around to tie this together in closing. We are forgiven by God for our sins, past, present, and future, if we believe, if you believe. You have to believe. That's all. It's just faith. Isn't that what it is? Faith. Faith believes. Here's the statement I want you to hear, and this is hard for you, some of you to understand. I can never be more saved than I am right now. Does that make sense? I can never be more saved. I'm I'm either saved or I'm not saved. I'm either the righteousness of God in Christ or I'm an unrighteous person. I'm either saint or I'm a sinner. I cannot be more saved than I am right now. I can study the Word of God. If I could quote the entire New Testament verbatim, forward and backwards, it would not make me more saved than I am right now. I'm saved in Christ. And so the peace that that truth brings must be enjoyed in your life. You ask for forgiveness, you received forgiven. You're forgiven by God. And as you're forgiven by God, He breathes into your spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that you are not going to live your life in bondage to sin, but you're going to live your life in service to God. You're going to bring forth fruit, works that bring forth glory to God. Living inside you is the power to resist sin. That's so good. It's so simple. I just want you to hear it today. You say, Pastor, I go to church where they, you know, everybody talks about I get a new car or a new job. Or if I'm really walking in faith, when I get to Walmart, I'll have a parking spot real close to the front. And you know what? That's all aside. The heart of the gospel is we were all estranged from God because of sin. And he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness of sin and then be able to serve God in a life that brings Him glory. Living inside you is the power to resist. You are Christ. If you're Christ, that means you're forgiven. And so because you're forgiven, daily you crucify your affections and lust. Paul summed it up this way in the passage we read to start the sermon. 
If you live in the Spirit, then you walk in the Spirit. And so I know it was kind of a stretch to make this application, but I want to say it again today. I will live free through Christ. I will live free. I will live free. Free from sin's debt and free from sin's dominion. Oh, that's good right there. Free from sin's debt. Free from sin's dominion. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. It's right at the noon hour.